Welcome y'all to another episode of the Touch of Flare podcast. My name is Emma. You can find me on Instagram at fly.ifr. Uh, you're welcome to go to our website, touchofflare.net. There you can find more media, more links to our podcast episodes, as well as some blog posts and essays on just our pilot life and travel. So it's a lot of fun. Please join us. Feel free to leave us a comment after the show, either here on a review on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to, or you can go to our website. Also feel free, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Touch of Flare, so leave us a comment there. We'd love to hear from you. Today we're going to be talking about getting your instrument rating cost-effectively and efficiently. I'm going to share some personal stories, some tips and tricks, uh, things to do, things not to do. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the episode. Today we're going to be talking about how to get your instrument rating uh, cost-effectively and efficiently with your time. So for me, on my flying education timeline, I got my private pilot license, and then I took probably almost a year off. Um, I had a lot of other things going on in my life, and I wanted to take time. I spent my money on traveling, and um, so there was definitely a break. But when I got back into it, um, I met up with an instructor, and... I had even less money at this point uh, than when I had started my private, so I could only afford to fly um, a really cheap airplane about once a month. It was a little Piper Sport. Um, I could, I mean, the thing burned like three gallons an hour, so I think I rented that for like $60 an hour, and the instructor was 40 so it was a really cheap deal, which was great. Um, anyway, so I sat down with this instructor, and he was a really good guy, had a lot of experience, and was a DPE. And his approach was, all right, the instrument rating is an all-knowledge rating. Um, It's not that hard to fly it once you know these things. So he set down the guidelines for me of go pass the written test, study all of these categories, and be knowledgeable on them. And we're going to do ground school when you have a minimum of three to five questions to come to me with, and then we'll go from there. And that was a really great approach because not only did it save me a lot of money, on ground school, but it really allowed me to self-motivate and be motivated to go get into the airplane and get it done. So I studied really hard. I got my written test out of the way. I think I met him from ground school maybe one time. Um, Did really well on all of that. And then by the time I hopped into the airplane, the flying was a lot easier because I already knew, hey, how does a VOR work? And how does, you know, a... um, an ADF approach work because you still had to practice those at that time. And there was a lot of knowledge that was already there. So, okay, I can fly straight and level. It's just a matter of tracking to and from a station. And I mean, GPS approaches were very, very simple. So those aren't exactly hard um, to pick up, but it really allowed me to be able to get the writing in a really cost-efficient manner because instead of spending thousands of dollars on ground school, Um, just trying to go over and learn material and then, you know, having to set up of, okay, from the get-go, we do one ground school session and then we go in the air and then we do one ground school session and then we go in the air. Um, It really saved me a lot of money and time not even bothering to fly before I had a really good grasp on my knowledge. So that was probably the first thing that saved me truly thousands of dollars. Um, I was also fortunate for a period of time to get a really cheap airplane, which was great. Um, There's just a guy on the field who was renting it out to like three students. So I was connected in the EAA chapter and kind of heard about this plane 
um, that was being rented out. So anyway, that all went really great. Unfortunately, with those kinds of things, um, the owner eventually sold the airplane. So that pretty much ended my IFR flight training there. Uh, but I picked it back up. And when I did pick it back up after about the first six months, um, I really just took three or four months and knocked it out. I was training consistently a couple times a week um, when I could. And I had a great instructor who um, had military background and he was just really good in the airplane. And um, he was a person who would let you fly it and make a mistake, but then come back and be like, all right, now let's correct it. Here's what you did wrong. So um, I think another key part to the instrument rating is just make sure you've got instructors who are really good and know how to hone in and develop your skills. Um, they're not just flying the plane for you and saying, oh, let me show you how to shoot an approach. You know, when they say, oh, let me show you how to shoot an approach, they're just walking you through it and you're still flying. So that really, really helps. Um, for that last three months, I was just in a 172. It was really cheap. Um, I think the instructor was like 50 an hour. It it was great. And then the experience that I had for my check ride, uh, the check ride where I was was a bit expensive. I think the guy was about $600 for an instrument check ride, but um, he was really good and uh, everything went really smooth. So overall, the experience went great. Um, I was at minimum times for all the requirements. Uh, one suggestion I do have is when you take your cross countries, um, go travel, go have fun with them. And it's just a great opportunity. Uh, we flew to Myrtle Beach for my long cross country for IFR. It's a great opportunity to get to go and see things, try to pick somewhere new, don't just fly to the same airport that you've been hitting up several times in a row. It's a great opportunity to just go out, new airports, new experiences, go get some new lunch somewhere. And that's a lot of fun. Uh, another suggestion that I have for keeping it cheap is there's a lot of time in the regulations that's required for instrument students to just build simulated instrument time. Now, there's two ways you can do this. You can do this with your instructor and honestly take advantage of this if there's something that you really need to be, you know, getting help on and you need the instructor there. Absolutely go log, you know, that simulated uh, instrument time with your instructor. However, if things are going pretty well, you understand the grasp and you really just need the repetition of approaches. I highly recommend, at the very least, ask someone to go and fly with you right seat. You know, cover the bill, they don't have to split it with you, but just ask them to come and, you know, maybe pick an instrument pilot or someone who's really knowledgeable about the airplane that you can learn from. I mean, just have a safety pilot there instead of your instructor. At the minimum, it's going to save you whatever the cost of the instructor is, which will save you a lot of money. Um, sometimes it'll, it's really beneficial if you can find another person who's also working on their instrument rating and both of you can go up and kind of fly for each other and sometimes then you can split the cost. So that'll save you a lot of money because now you're cutting out the cost of the instructor and you're having the cost of the airplane. Um, so it really makes a big difference. For my instrument, I came out to somewhere around $8,000 in total. Um, for the cost of it. So it was a little bit less than private, which was good. I really got lucky with some incredibly cheap airplanes and um, not a lot of ground school and getting to uh, have a safety pilot with me was really, really helpful. So those are just some recommendations. Um, all in all, I think the biggest money saver or the two biggest money savers are fly with safety pilots as well as 
go and get as much done on the ground study-wise as possible. And then in between flights, keep studying and keep studying. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of actual like instrument time now and experience and I'm still going through the aim and finding new things and new details that I wasn't aware of or new symbols on a chart that I hadn't seen before. So you're not going to run out of things to study. Uh, for that matter, the aim is your best friend. I know it. if you have an actual copy of the far aim, um, it looks massive and dry and it is absolutely that. Um, however, the aim has so much information that I highly recommend at least once in your pilot career, read it cover to cover and just go through all of it, especially in your instrument rating. That's going to be a huge source of information for you. And I guarantee you that on your oral, your uh, examiner is going to ask you some questions that you're only going to be able to find answers to in the aim. There's some obscure stuff, uh, whether it's radio lingo or lost comm procedures or information about VORs and the entirety of the systems in place for the national airspace. Some really good information there. I would highly recommend that you check it out. Um, you really can't lose. I know it's tough and it's not exactly fun to go through the aim and have to read it. It's pretty dry, but if you've, even if you can do a little bit at a time, that really makes a huge difference. So anyway, don't get overwhelmed. There's a lot of information, small steps. Um, but like I said, if you can absorb all that information beforehand, it'll really make a huge difference and then have fun with it. And honestly, once you get your IFR rating and you're allowed to look outside the airplane again, you are just going to be so thrilled and grateful to not have to wear FOD goals. Um, it's going to be great. On one last note, I would definitely recommend to people, um, I know that there's a lot of glass panels and that iPads are super easy and GPS flying is just incredible. It really makes the instrument rating a lot easier. And I'll be honest with you, you know, in real world flying, that's pretty much what you're going to use. You're going to fly an ILS or a GPS. You're going to have your iPad. You're going to have ForeFlight. You're going to be able to see the moving maps and pull up charts. However, there's value in being a competent air uh, pilot when everything goes wrong. So just assuming that you're going into a small airport. I've definitely been in situations where I've flown into airports in the middle of nowhere and all they have is a VOR alpha approach or a localizer back course still for some reason. And they're just small and they're old and it's going to be a crappy day and you have to get in and it doesn't matter what equipment you have. You're just going to be limited. Practice those approaches. Make sure in your training with your CFI, you're being challenged. Those GPS approaches, you're not going to need much practice on. They're really, really simple. You just watch the airplane. Everything comes in on your instruments. It's super easy. Spend time on the approaches that aren't easy. Find a localizer. Find a localizer back course if you can. Um, do VOR approaches. Do all these approaches without using the uh, airplane on your iPad. Just use it for the chart. You know, cover up the GPS. See how you can do this. Just do it by headings. Practice no gyro approaches. Um, they're harder and it may be more frustrating, especially when you're first learning, but you're going to be a better pilot for it. Same thing with holds. Um, I know a lot of airplanes now, it's just really easy to say, oh, initiate a hold. The GPS flies it for you. You've got it on autopilot. And when I have had to hold in real life, honestly, that's what I do. I'm not going to bother 
you know, trying to hand fly this just because unless I need practice. But when I come up for recurrence, I have to be able to hand fly those. And there's a good reason for it. And it's to keep current to make sure everything's, you know, going on that's supposed to. And honestly, it's not that uncommon to have autopilot malfunction. So you need to know these things. I would encourage you get a lot of time in a steam gauge airplane. Uh, challenge yourself. Don't just go glass. And it's fine to get familiar with glass, but you know, make sure that you've got steam gauge time on the harder approaches, the lesser used approaches, the older ones, and then just throw challenges. No gyro. I mean, something goes wrong. No autopilot. Make it hard on yourself while you have that CFI there while you're practicing. So that way when it happens in real life, you're not worried about it and you're competent. Or when you're just doing your day-to-day commercial flying, you know, you're really grateful to have that super easy GPS approach with autopilot coupled. But if something goes wrong, you know you could handle it. So those are my words of encouragement for you guys. Um, Again, I think the IFR rating is very attainable. It's kind of nice because after you've gotten your private pilot license, uh, you have an awareness of kind of what to expect, what's going on. Things are familiar. You've probably got a study routine at this point. So in that sense, it's a lot easier. The knowledge part, yeah, it's a lot of knowledge to absorb, but don't overthink it. It's pretty reasonable. Just be diligent. And it doesn't have to be crazy expensive. Like I said, um, I got my rating for about 8000 I think it's probably a little bit less usually for people um, unless they're spending a ton of time in the air. Those IFR rating bills get really expensive when you're doing the setup of, oh, from day one, you know, two hours of ground school, two hours in the airplane. It takes a long time to set up for approaches. Um, the other thing is I, you are allowed to log simulator time. So take advantage of that. Take advantage of the max amount of hours that you can get logged in a simulator running approaches with your CFI towards that rating because that is honestly even better experience than in the airplane. Because in the airplane, we have to go. We have to fly around, go from airport to airport. There's like 30 minutes in between, especially in a Skyhawk, and you're going, I mean, just almost nothing on your airspeed. It's slow. In the simulator, you can just pick up approach after approach after approach, and just you can get so much more in. It's great experience. And at first, the speed will overwhelm you, but then you'll get used to it. And then when you're flying in the Skyhawk, everything's going really slow, and you're like, all right, I'm already set up, and I'm like way out here. I've got nothing to do now. So... Um, definitely go ahead and, you know, make use of the simulator, make use of safety pilots, make use of the availability of your ground school at home and study. And that'll really save you a lot of money. It'll keep you from having an 11 or $12,000 bill for your instrument rating. And if you do need time with your CFI for ground school, you know, don't hesitate to call them. I would just encourage you not to utilize your CFI as, oh, just tell me what I need to know. Go study and then come to them with questions. That'll direct the ground school time that you do have with them a lot better and make it more useful and you'll catch on. They're not having to guess what you don't know. You're expressing it to them. So anyway, uh, for those of you who are working on their instrument rating, best of luck. Feel free to send us a message with any you know specific questions that you might have. We'd be happy to share. And thank you for joining us today. <laughs>